0: I want to comment and make some remarks in light of what's been happening in the news in the last couple of weeks. And after today, you're probably not going to hear me speak directly about this very much. And I'll explain more of that as we get along in the message. But we're not called primarily to be news commentators, <laughs> we're called primarily to proclaim the kingdom, to proclaim Christ. And to preach against sin, fight against darkness, and prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. And God has spoken to me very clearly in these last few days about keeping my focus on that. Not getting distracted by what politicians and nations and people are doing. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood. We need to understand who we're fighting, how to fight this battle that we're in, and my primary purpose today is to try to help us understand what's going on. There's a lot of confusion, even in the uh, Christian circles, about what has happened, what is happening, and what is going to happen. And I'd like to try to address that uh, from the Word of God. And before we go any further, I want to pray one more time. Father, we thank You for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, That you promised would lead and guide us into all truth. God, deliver us from confusion. Deliver us from deception and error. God, we love the truth. You are the God of truth. Your spirit is the spirit of truth. Your word is the word of truth. And Lord, we desire truth in the inward parts. So take us deeper into your truth. Remove any blindness or confusion from our hearts and lives so that we can see and understand clearly where we are in the world today and where you are taking us. God, thank you for each and everyone here today. Open the eyes of our understanding that we may know Christ better and we'll give you glory and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. 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 Alright, turn with me to Jeremiah 12 and verse 5. Jeremiah 12, verse 5. These are actually words that the Lord spoke personally to the prophet Jeremiah. And I think there's some application for each one of us. If you have raced with men on foot, and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country... How will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? The King James and uh, actually the Amplified has even a better translation on that last part. Uh, how will you manage in the swelling and the flooding of the Jordan? In other words, if in your Christian life you've been having a tough time already, What are you going to do when times really get tough? (laughs) And you may have thought, wow, I've been having a tough time, Pastor. I understand that. But times are going to get tougher. We're seeing a, a quantum shift in the culture in the world around us. And we need to understand what is going on. God always prepares His people ahead of time for what's coming. And I believe if we are listening to the Holy Spirit, He's going to be preparing us for what is unfolding. And I know how God has been speaking to me. He's been telling me, you better gird up your loins and get ready, Bubba. Because stuff is coming. You better be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And know who you believe in and trust Him with all your heart. No more games. No more playing around. If you stumble in safe country, (laughs) you know, a pastor was sharing last Sunday how basically we've had a number of decades in this country. We've had no world war. We've had a few terrorist attacks, and a few problems, but basically we've had many decades now. Christian radio, Christian TV, Christian bookstores. Everywhere you turn, you can hear the Word of God. Churches on just about every corner, and for many, many years this was known as a Christian nation. It was very safe and very easy to be a Christian in America very different from a lot of other countries in the world, where our brothers and sisters are losing their heads for the name of Jesus Christ. And to be honest with you, sometimes even when we pray for them, we pray, well, those poor people that are all dying, I think another 200 plus Christians were slaughtered in Nigeria this week at the hands of Boko Haram. And we pray and we think, we think those poor people, thank God it's not like that in the U.S. Yet. Yet. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If if we've had a tough time even being faithful to God in this easy period that we've had here in America, what are we going to do when real fire comes? What are we going to do when real persecutions come against the church? And this, this message is not to rebuke anyone. It's not even to try to stir you up. That's not my uh, intention today. I just want us to understand where we are. And I think each one of us needs to understand where we're at in our Christian life too. If we've already been having a struggle just getting up in the morning to pray, we've had a struggle being able to read our Bible, we've had a struggle even being able to participate in Bible study, prayer, fasting, coming together to worship the Lord, then maybe we need to make some adjustments. And we don't need to turn to the Scripture, but in 1 Chronicles 12, it mentions the sons of Issachar, one of the tribes of Israel. They were noted for something that I find very fascinating. They understood the times, and they knew what Israel should do. Very interesting. How we need men and women of God like that around us in this time of such confusion and deception and blindness in the world. Understand the times and know what Israel, what God's people, should do. And I want to encourage you, pray that daily now. Pray, God, help us understand the times and show us what we are to do. I will say this, we're in the final hour. We're not just in the last days. We're not just in the last week. We're not even in the last day. We're in the final hour. Time is very, very short. We need to understand where we're at on God's time chart, not man's. It has nothing to do with politics, man, what man wants to do, decisions man is making. We need to understand God has a (laughs) timetable. And, you know, sometimes we put up these big charts on, you know, from eternity to eternity, and we try to look at all the dispensations and everything. Well, God has a chart like that somewhere in heaven. And we need to be praying, God, where are we on that timeline? You know, if this is where the rapture is, how close are we? Because the Bible says we should be paying attention to what's happening in the world around us. That doesn't mean we get all involved and caught up in politics and fighting with people over stuff. But we should be paying attention to what's happening in the world because the Bible says we see the day approaching. Well, how can you see the day approaching if you're not paying attention to the signs that say, Wow we're a whole lot closer than we were this time last year. <laughs> Do you realize that? We're a whole lot closer now than we were in July 2014. That's not theory to me. I know we're a lot closer to the coming of the Lord than we were one year ago. Another portion of Scripture, these are familiar verses, hopefully, but by way of review and maybe a little bit to stir us up. Second Timothy 3 Verses 1 to 9. Where are we on God's timeline? What What's going on in the world around us? If you want to make sense of it, you have to turn to God's Word. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit. And here's what the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write nearly 2,000 years ago. Second Timothy 3. I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way down to verse 9. And before we do, let me tell you the title I've given my message today. And I'll explain the title as we move along. The title is Phase 3 of Romans 1, Depravity. Phase 3 of Romans 1, Depravity. Sounds rather depressing, I'll explain it. Now, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 9. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Almost like Paul is saying, get your notebook out. Get your pen out. I want you to write this down. Mark this one. There will be terrible times in the last days. have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth." They are men of depraved minds, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Terrible times. I don't even need to comment on all the things in this long laundry list of things that Paul says you will see more and more of as we get closer to the end. I just, you know, sometimes when I'm reading the Word of God, I don't know if anybody else can relate to this, but the the Holy Spirit kind of has a little highlighter. (laughs) And certain words will sort of shine out of the page, and I'll, I'll underline them or something. That happened to me when I was going over these verses And a couple of things jumped off the page at me that I think are in line with the spirit that we're seeing manifested in the world today. Abusive, without love, slanderous, brutal, treacherous, and having a form of godliness. A form, but denying its power. He mentions in verse 8 two individuals that are not mentioned in the Bible, but they're a part of Jewish tradition. Janus and Jambres. Uh, Jewish tradition has it that these are the magicians who opposed Moses in the book of Exodus, and they did their little magic tricks with the snakes and everything. Um, It doesn't matter what their names are. Their activity is what's important. They opposed Moses the man of God, and they opposed what God was doing. And he says, so also these teachers oppose the truth. And we don't have time to do it, but in the previous chapter of Second Timothy, he gives instructions to Timothy and those that God has called to represent him and to serve him. He warns them about those who are going to come and oppose us. And this is some important advice I mentioned on Friday, and we need to pay close attention to this. People are going to oppose us in these days. Paul says, don't argue with them. The devil will try to draw you into arguments with people. Quarreling over this, fighting over that, and we lose our testimony, we lose Christ. We are not called to win arguments, we're called to win souls. And he says very simply, when somebody opposes you, don't quarrel with them. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Maybe you're a good debater. Maybe you can win all the arguments. You've got to lay that down now. He says, don't quarrel with them. Gently teach them. And then give them to the Lord. To see if God will grant them repentance Bring them to their senses and set them free from Satan who has taken them captive to do his will. See, we need to understand what's going on. Again, our fight is not with people. Satan and powers of darkness are behind the opposition. So rather than try to fight fire with fire... And get into the flesh and argue and quarrel and all that. Go to prayer. (laughs) Father, this man, this woman, these people are opposing me, but more importantly, they're opposing the truth. We're surrounded by people now who oppose the truth. We need to know what to do. Don't argue with them. Pray for them. God, open their eyes bring them to their senses, and most importantly, deliver them out of the captivity of Satan that has taken over their minds so that they will do His will. Okay? We're, we're dealing with major deception in the world today. And it's satanic. It's demonic. We're dealing with blindness like we've never seen before. And your clever speeches and convincing arguments are not going to break that. God's power has to break it. So, he talks about these who oppose the truth, and he says they are men of depraved minds. We're going to talk more about depravity in a minute, because it's in the title of my message. But they are men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. That's scary. That's scary. Certain people have actually crossed the line. And they've been rejected from faith, from salvation, from any hope in God. I didn't make that up. It's in the Bible. I don't determine that. God does. But Paul realized certain enemies that were opposing God, opposing the church, they had already been rejected. And then he says they will not get very far, because as in the case of Janus and Jambres, their folly will be clear to everyone. One other introductory scripture, and then I'm going to explain a little bit more about um, the title of this message and what I hope to uh, do here in a few minutes this morning. Hebrews 12, verses 25 to 29. Hebrews 12, 25 to 29. See to it that you do not refuse Him, that's God, who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, referring to people in the Old Testament, how much less, we we think it's the other way around, now that we're Christians, how much more we can get away with. (laughs) He says, no, no, no. How much less will we if we turn away from Him who warns us from heaven? At that time, His voice shook the earth but now He has promised. doesn't say He has suggested or He's thought about it. God has promised He's going to do something in these last days. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things so that what cannot be be shaken, may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, praise God for that, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We are going to see more and more things shaking around us. If it's a created thing, it will shake. If it's a man-made institution, it will shake. Anything that is not eternal will be shaking in these last days. And that's why you and I need to focus on the kingdom of God. That is the only thing that cannot be shaken. We have received a kingdom. We are proclaiming a kingdom. We are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It has nothing to do with Supreme Courts, with Senate votes, with presidential decrees. It has nothing to do with man's opinion polls. The kingdom of God will remain after everything else has been shaken. We are going to see nature in upheaval More and more and more. Weather patterns, volcanoes, earthquakes, storms of every kind, even things that we've never heard of before, we're going to witness. The earth is going to begin to shake. The very foundations of governments are already shaking. Economies are collapsing. Banks are going to collapse. We're going to see shakings around us. But the Apostle says, don't worry. Don't worry. Praise God. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, let us be thankful. Let's come to church on Sundays and worship God with reverence and awe. And then he just plugs in at the very end there, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, a week ago Friday, on June twenty sixth, 2015, the Supreme Court announced or published, I don't know what the correct term is, they announced their decision to legalize so-called gay marriage in all 50 states of the Union. There was great celebration. There was a lot of weeping. Some people don't even have a clue what happened yet. Maybe it's the marijuana, I don't know. They don't even care. But I know many people that I have talked to had a, an experience similar to mine. As you know, we spent two Consecutive Friday nights in this church, fasting and praying about this decision. And I took it very seriously. I really prayed, I really cried out to God, and I really believed in the power of God that can shake institutions, that can change kings and presidents and Supreme Court justices' hearts. I have that faith. And some of you may have a little difficulty with what I'm about to share, but hopefully you can understand. Throughout that whole period that we were fasting and praying and crying out to God, I kept hearing the Lord whisper to me and almost preparing me for the inevitable. And I was not the least bit surprised. That's not unbelief. I was not the least bit surprised when I heard the decision. God had already prepared me for it. Was I sad? Absolutely. Was I scared? Absolutely. For about five minutes, I went into a deep, dark hole of discouragement, of fear, of almost panic, like, oh my God, now what? And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit started to speak. And by no accident or coincidence, this decision came out Friday morning, and we were about to begin our three-day seminar on conquering the seven nations that evening. (laughs) And I knew it was no coincidence. And God began to speak things to my heart, and after about five minutes, I was praising God. I was so excited, I couldn't wait for the Friday night meeting. And I want to try to summarize some of the things that I believe God has spoken to me. I'm not saying this is gospel truth, but I'll share with you my interpretation of what's going on, where we are and where we're headed, and why all of this happened. Here's a summary of what I want to do in the next few minutes. Number one, This issue will be a sword that divides. It will be a sword sent not by the Supreme Court, sent not by man, but sent by God. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace on earth. I came to bring a sword and to bring division. This is that sword. It's going to divide like you've never seen before. It's going to separate light from darkness. It's going to separate truth from error. And it's going to separate the bride of Christ from the harlot church. More and more Christians are drifting away into error. Lukewarmness and backsliding and marrying the world and getting off further and further and further. You know, I was in the shower this morning and I heard something that I hadn't thought about at all throughout this whole controversy. Here's what God spoke to me. Marriage was in God's mind before the foundation of the world. The first marriage in the Bible between Adam and Eve in Genesis 2 was maybe about 10,000 years ago, maximum. But if you read Ephesians 5 and the book of Revelation, you realize what happened in the Garden of Eden was just a picture of the real wedding. And suddenly my eyes were open. No wonder Satan has gone after marriage because the greatest marriage ever is about to take place. It's the marriage of Christ the Lamb with His Bride. And it's just like Satan to go for the jugular, go for the most important thing. He's tried to defile, pervert, and make filthy the most important event ever in all of God's economy, the marriage of the Lamb. So it doesn't surprise me that the human Aspect of marriage is under attack now. But do not fear. Marriage is not man's invention, it's God's eternal idea. And long after human marriages are all over and done with, and you know, I know we get kind of all flowery about marriage that, oh, we're going to be married forever. No, you're not. Some of you are saying, praise God. (laughs) We're not going to be married in eternity. This is an earthly contract. It's an earthly relationship. And one of the primary purposes is to reflect the heavenly. That which is about to come. We don't have time to study all this. Maybe in days to come we'll look at it more. In Ephesians 5, Paul says the relationship between a man and a woman, it's real. It was established in the Garden of Eden. But he says, I'm talking about a profound mystery. It's the relationship between Christ and His bride, His church. So that's that's why marriage is under such attack now. The most important marriage of all is about to take place. And believe you me, in coming days we're going to see the distinction between light and darkness, truth and error, the bride of Christ, and the harlot church more and more distinct. There won't be any gray areas in these last days because God has sent a sword. Number two, these are the exact words I heard that Friday morning in my hotel room. And I can't shake them. They're still reverberating inside of me. As soon as I heard the decision, before I had a minute to think, I heard these words, I will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. And what does that mean? I don't know exactly, but I can tell you one thing. There's going to be a response from heaven. You read from Genesis to Revelation. God, He's often slow in His judgments. He's very patient. He's very long-suffering. He lets us go on and on and on. He gives us a space of time to repent. But let me tell you something. When God says, enough is enough, you better look out. And I've heard God say, I will not be mocked. So I am fully expecting to see a response from heaven to man's arrogance, to man's total disregard for God's natural order, His divine order, and His Word. I expect a response from heaven. And we are going to see greater and greater manifestations of God's judgment on this land. Number three. Sadly, we who are Christians here in America we will be witnessing an acceleration, and we already are, we'll be witnessing even greater acceleration in wickedness, lawlessness, violence, and anti-Christian sentiment. That means persecution is coming. We're going to come back to each one of these. I'm just giving you a quick overview. And fourthly, in the midst of all of this, True Christians are going to rise up. They're going to shine like thousand watt light bulbs. There's going to be an anointing and a power on God's people like never before. And with great boldness, even in the face of death and persecution, they will proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and it will reach the four corners of the world. With great power, with great boldness true Christians will preach the gospel of the kingdom without any compromise, without any gimmicks. They'll be preaching God's word. All right, here we go. What does all this mean? And where in the world did I get the title of this message? I have taught in this church before, and I'm not going to go through all of it again. But in Romans chapter 1, Paul goes through a three-phase Program, if you want to use that word, that He uses with people who rebel against Him. And you can study it for yourself in Romans 1, from verse 18 to the end of the chapter. We're just going to pick a couple of verses for the sake of time here. Basically, he says, because they knew God, and they didn't want to know Him, they suppressed that truth. And... They kept suppressing that truth. And rather than worship God, they worship idols. They turned away from God. And in phase one, it says that He gave them over. That's the expression you need to look for. Three times in this process, it says God gave them over. He gave them over. Phase one he gave them over to sexual lust and impurity. Phase two, he gave them over to homosexual perversions. And phase three, he gave them over to depravity. I am fully convinced, and have been for more than five years, as I've prayed over these verses, this not only refers to individual people, it refers to nations. God deals with nations very similarly to the way he does with individuals. There's a lot in the Bible, not just about Israel, but how God deals with nations. We'll look at a few verses on that uh, later on. The first phase... I think, really began to manifest in the 1960s with the so-called sexual revolution. Prior to that, it's hard for us to even imagine what life was like in America if you weren't around here. We were a very prim and proper society. And if someone even had a thought of committing fornication or adultery, man, it was done in the dark of night under cover. Starting in the sixties, we had free love, and people began to disregard marriage, they began to disregard any any of the social restraints on immorality. And you had widespread fornication Affairs, adultery, and it began the unraveling of the whole family structure. Especially in the last ten years. It didn't just start ten years ago, but especially in the last ten years, we have seen the second phase come full bloom. The homosexual revolution. And... I don't know how accurate these statistics are. They say one half of 1% of the 320 million Americans are homosexuals. That may be low, because some of them are still in hiding. Some of them may not have revealed their true identity. It may be a couple of percents. But it's not a large fraction yet of the culture. However, the majority of the culture has been blinded and duped into accepting this now as normal. Phase three is the scariest one. And I believe I heard very clearly from the Holy Spirit the other morning, we've now entered into phase three. He gave them over. He gave them over. And finally, he gave them over to a depraved mind. Let's look in Romans 1, just at that portion, from verse 28 to 32. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Now let's pause here for a minute. King James, I think, says "reprobate." The word in the Greek can mean reprobate, worthless, rejected. We saw that word earlier in reference to the depraved opposers that Paul wrote about. Reprobate, worthless, rejected, cast away, or as it's translated here, depraved. He gave them over to that kind of a mind. I want you to notice, and go home and study it on your own, but notice in Romans 1, these verses that we're referring to, God is the one who's acting. They're doing their stuff, but God is the one who's in charge. He gave them over. He gave them over. He gave them over. Until He gave them over into that, they were pretty much protected from it. The word gave over actually means to yield up. It's even used in the Bible when somebody is delivered over in the prison. It's not a nice word. God delivered them over to a depraved or reprobate mind to do what ought not to be done. Okay, let's keep going. I don't make any apologies. This is not a, wee, this is a wonderful message. Praise God. Pastor, thank you for coming back from Florida and giving, I understand this is very heavy stuff, but I gotta tell you this. Because it's in the Word of God, and it's where we're at now. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips. Slanderers, God-haters, not atheists. Notice that. Doesn't Atheists are not on the list. These are God-haters. How many of you hate imaginary beings? you have any imaginary beings that you hate? No, you don't hate an imaginary being. You hate someone who's real. These people hate God. Insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Kids, watch out. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know. Say no. no. They know. All throughout here, they have knowledge of God. They know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That, my friend, is insanity. That is the epitome of insanity. When you know you're doing something that is against God's decree and you deserve death for doing it, you keep doing it and you even applaud others who are doing it. While I was in Florida... And we were teaching there about the seven nations. And we're going to be doing that soon on Wednesday nights. I don't want to steal my own thunder. But the seven nations were wicked. They were perverse. And among other things, they practiced idolatry and homosexuality. And in Leviticus 18, God told the Israelites, the reason I'm driving those seven nations out is because of their perversion. They are so wicked, the land is going to vomit them out. And if you do what they're doing, the land will vomit you out too. And he goes on to say, I'm not going to drive out those seven nations because of your righteousness. I'm driving them out because of their wickedness. But there's a very fascinating portion of Scripture That I believe came at just the right time for me to try to interpret and understand the big picture of where we're at. It's found in Genesis 15, starting with verse 13. It's the only place in the Bible you'll find this. And it's when God appears to Abraham long before Israel has become a great nation. Long before Egypt, Exodus, Pharaoh, or anything has happened, God revealed to Abraham the whole plan. Listen carefully. The Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. That was Egypt. Abraham knew nothing about any of this. And they will be enslaved and mistreated For 400 years. God is telling him this long before any of this has happened. They're going to be slaves in a foreign land for 400 years. Not 399. Not 401. 400 years. Read Exodus. That's exactly how long the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Keep going. But I will punish the nation they serve. Boy, God did that to Egypt, didn't he? With all the plagues. And after, they will come out with great possessions. We studied all this. Exodus 12. They came out with silver, gold, great wealth. I call it their back pay for 400 years as slaves. Next verse. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. And verse 16 is the one I want to talk about. Why 400 years? Because in Exodus 3... At the burning bush, God tells Moses, I've seen their misery. I've heard their cries and their groanings. I'm going to go down and deliver them with my right arm. And I'm sending you to do it. Did God not hear their groans before that? Surely He did. Did God not see their misery as slaves in Egypt? Of course He did. Why did He let them go for four hundred years? Years. There's only one answer, and God gives it. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for, say for, four. Say four. Four. For the sin of the Amorites, that was one of the seven nations, has not yet reached its full measure. The sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. I have really struggled over this one. I've prayed and prayed and looked at all the different commentaries, see what people had to say about it. It basically means what it says. The reason they're going to be there for 400 years is I'm waiting for sin to come to its perfection. It's kind of an odd concept. But it's right there. God was waiting for the sin of the Amorites to reach full measure. In other words, to get to the very brim of the cup. Now go back to Romans 1. Verse 28 again. And notice what happens when you're in phase three, depravity. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what they ought not to be, to do what ought not to be done. Next verse. They have become what? They have become what? They have become what? Filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, etc., etc., etc. This thing is filling up now. The sin of the Amorites is reaching full measure now. And the only word I can give you today to encourage you is I think it's just a little bit more time. We're going to see things that we never dreamed we would have to look at. Our children, God help them, God protect them. But we're going to see depravity and wickedness. We already are parading the streets boldly thumbing their noses at heaven, saying, you can't do anything to us. Recently, in Los Angeles, California, you may have seen this in the news. Hopefully you didn't. Hundreds, I'm not talking about five or ten, hundreds of totally naked Men and women on bicycles were riding through the streets of downtown L.A. in broad daylight. Perverts, naked perverts driving through the main streets of L.A. That's depravity, my friends. That is depravity. 50% of Americans now approve of the Supreme Court's decision. That means, well, I'll speak for myself, I'm in the minority. And I'm going to make a statement here. Hopefully, I'm wrong. But I see something similar already getting set up with the legalization of marijuana that just happened with the legalization of gay marriage. I heard some individual on the radio the other day talking about how in November six more states are going to be voting to legalize marijuana. I think what? Colorado, Alaska, Oregon, D.C., a few others have already done it. And he was very excited that they're going to win in these six states, and then he doesn't want to stop there. He sees it coming to all 50 states. And I wouldn't be surprised after the November elections on these things if there isn't some challenge that gets into the Supreme Court and the elite Supreme Court justices decide for all of us. That pot is now legal. You can't make this stuff up. It's happening. It's happening. I know what pot does to people. (laughs) I know what it does to people. I know how insane it is to be legalizing it. You remember two months ago the riots just up in Baltimore, right? That was all over the news. What you've not heard in the news is since then, there have been 74 homicides in Baltimore. 74 people murdered in Baltimore just in the last two months. My friends, we're seeing the manifestation of these things. It's coming into its fullness, lawlessness, violence, brutal, treacherous. Treatment of fellow human beings. I mentioned what God is doing now is bringing a sword. Not to kill, but to divide. You know, right away in Genesis 1, God made light, and what did he do? He divided light from darkness. God's going to divide light from darkness. He's going to separate carnal, lukewarm, backslidden Christians who don't even know their Bibles. He's going to separate them from the true believers now. He's going to manifest the Bride of Christ. Think about that word. Bride of Christ. A bride is madly in love with her husband. She can't think of anyone else on the face of God's green earth. She wants her husband There's a group of people in the world that loves Jesus like that. They're going to be manifested more and more in these last days. In Matthew 10, verse 32 and onwards. And by the way, my message today is probably going to be a little longer than mine normally are. You may have noticed my messages are getting shorter now. And I'm doing that deliberately. I believe if I can't say what I need to say in about 45 minutes, I probably haven't said anything. So generally speaking, unless I have something really important like I do today to address, I'm not going to be giving long-winded speeches. But today might be a little longer just because of the content. Matthew 10, starting with verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me, this is Jesus talking, Whoever acknowledges me before men. You know, I was so blessed. Pastor Kwesi shared Friday night how he just went up and sat down with a group of policemen in the restaurant the other day. Started sharing with them and finally at the end he prayed with them all. That's such fantastic. That's what we need to be doing now. Boldly acknowledging him before men. I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me, I don't don't know Jesus. No, I'm I'm no Christian. I don't go to church. Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. That might rattle your cage a little bit. I thought sweet Jesus came just to love everyone, bring peace to everybody. We can all sit around the campfire and sing kumbaya. Don't suppose that I came to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And in Luke's Gospel, it comes across a little bit differently. I want to point a couple of things out there. Uh, Luke 12, starting at verse 49. I have come... To bring gifts and peace and blessings to all. Well, he did, but that's not what he's talking about here. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you. But what? What? I thought the devil brought (laughs) division. I came to bring division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against mother, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. We we can predict the weather. Next verse. Next verse. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it you don't know how to interpret this present time? That's what we need. We need to understand the time, be able to interpret this very time in which we now find ourselves. book of Revelation says in the last days, and I'm paraphrasing, You can look it up yourself. I think it's chapter 22. He that is unjust will become still more unjust. He that is filthy will become still more filthy. And he that is righteous will become still more righteous. And he that is holy will become still more holy. Just as we see wickedness coming to fullness, so likewise righteousness and holiness is coming to perfection in the body of Christ. The third area I mentioned earlier and this is the word I heard very clearly on June 26 morning God will not be mocked. It's found in Galatians 6 we don't need to go there. But shortly after that there were grand parades celebrations the White House was bathed in rainbow light, celebrating the victory for homosexuality in America. And I have a few words for President Obama and those who live in the White House. That house is not his, by the way, it's ours. If you pay taxes, you pay a little bit for the air conditioning and the lawn care. <laughs> Here's a few thoughts for those that would flaunt this as a great victory. Proverbs 14 and verse 34. I'm going to go ahead and read these if we catch up fine. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Psalm 9 and verse 17 from the King James is the way I learned this years ago. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. What's all mean? All except America, right? Because we're blessed by God. I mean, yesterday, everybody was saying God bless America. I'm sorry, we can sing God bless America all we want. But God's Word is true. Nations that forget God will be turned into hell. This next passage, I hope we can get up on the screen. It sounds like we're having problems there. If not, that's why you always bring your Bible. Isaiah 2, starting at verse 10. Go into the rocks. Hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled, and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Verse 12, The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. And it goes on and on, jumping down to verse 15 for every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted. In that day. Verse 19. People will flee to caves in the rocks. And to holes in the ground. From the fearful presence of the Lord. And the splendor of His majesty. When He rises to shake the earth. God will not be mocked. God is not about to change. Right and wrong. We can rewrite the rule books all we want. God will not be mocked. We recently did a series of studies from Second Peter. The whole second chapter talks about the deceptions of these last days. And by no coincidence, Peter mentions what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah as being an example of how God will treat other nations and other cities that follow in their footsteps. Second Peter 2, starting with verse 4. We somehow think that, oh, God has blessed America, He will spare us from any of His judgments. No. 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 If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world when He brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. He just saved eight people. And if He condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them a what? Made them a what? A history lesson? More than a history lesson. An example of what Might happen? What is going to happen? To the ungodly. You know, i got to pause here for a minute. If there's anybody here or anybody that might listen to this uh, on the internet or or by recording, I, I plead with you, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. This is no time to be playing around. Run to Jesus. Run to the cross. Give your life to God. Surrender to Jesus. Give up all your junk, all your foolishness. Whatever it is that's holding you back. Give it all to Jesus now. This is no time to play. This is real, my friends. Made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Verse 7. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by their marriage equality, he was distressed by their filthy lives of lawless men. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw And I don't know about you, but I'm not okay with what's going on around me. I'm not okay when I hear about 74 mostly young men being gunned down in the streets of Baltimore 35 minutes from here. I'm not happy when I see the whole institution of marriage being completely twisted and distorted, and young people's minds and lives being twisted by the devil. He was distressed by the stuff he saw. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials, praise God for that, and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. You know, I was reading Genesis 18 and 19 and studying it very carefully this weekend. And the Lord was showing me a couple of things In that story, if you're not familiar, that's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. But what's interesting is in chapter 18, God revealed to Abraham what was about to happen. And the angel of the Lord revealed to Abraham, The outcry against this city has reached heaven. Maybe you haven't thought about this. The outcry against it. Somebody was crying out to God about what was going on in Sodom. Are we? Or now that our fasting and prayer is over, are we just going to keep quiet? We need to cry out more now. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't stop crying out to God. The outcry against Sodom has reached my ears. And I've come down. Oh boy, look out when God comes down. Look out when God comes down. And you remember Abraham prayed. I call it his prayer auction or his prayer bargaining. Lord, if there's 50, spare the city. God says you got a deal. How about 45? I'll spare it. Lord, Lord, I don't don't want to take too much of your time, but how about 40? Yep, I'll do it for 40. 30? Yep. 20? Yep. Lord, this is my last request. If there are 10 righteous in Sodom, will you spare the city? God said, Yep, we got a deal. God could not find 10, he found four. Even the intended daughters, I'm sorry, the intended sons in law, the men who were going to marry his daughters, they laughed at him. They stayed. Four people came out and one of them turned to Saul. Only three survived. I don't know what those numbers mean, but the Lord was telling me, get ready. You're going to be a small minority in these last days. Finally, in Matthew 24, one of my favorite Scriptures. This is my road map. This is my GPS. This is where I turn when stuff starts getting really weird and confusing. And it always makes sense of what's going on. Matthew 24, the signs of His coming and of the end of the age. Matthew 24 from verse 4 to verse 14. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Many are being deceived in these last days. Many! You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. We've, we've talked about all this. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. But here's what's coming next. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be loved and appreciated and lavished with generous offerings by all the nations. You will be hated by all nations because of me. But you know what? You're in real good company. They hated Jesus. And I'm looking at the ones that are really being singled out in the culture now. It's almost hilarious, but... Dr. Ben Carson, who's running for president, by the way, I have utmost respect for that man. He's not a politician, that's why people like him. He just speaks his mind. Well, he came out real clear on the morning of the Supreme Court decision that he does not uh, believe in this. He believes in biblical, traditional marriage, period. Well, it was just a matter of an hour or two they had Dr. Ben Carson's name on a terrorist list. Do <laughs> so he look like a terrorist to you? This man has saved, multiplied thousands of children. If you don't know anything about Dr. Ben Carson, he was a famous neurosurgeon up in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins. Fantastic testimony. He's a terrorist. Well, if he's a terrorist, I want to be on the same list. Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, who in my opinion has gone beyond where Billy Graham went in his ministry. Powerful man of God. Likewise, he was very clear on the morning of June 26th, we're against all this. We're for the Bible, we're for traditional marriage. This is an assault on God and His Word, da-da-da-da-da. Guess where Franklin Graham is? The haters list. He's a terrorist. Dangerous. I don't even feel worthy to be in the list with a name like that, but Lord, put me on that list. We're going to be hated. We're just not going to win any more popularity contests, so get over it. Hated by all nations because of me. Keep going. At that time... A few one or two we've talked about this a lot but let me go through it again many will turn away from the faith you can't turn away from something that you weren't facing or in I just turned away from my Bible I was in the Bible they were in the faith many will turn away from it and will betray and hate each other. Whoever makes these haters this, people are going to start reporting us, Pastor. Amen. So Check this guy out. He's a hater. So <laughs> be it. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Many, many, many. Because of the increase of wickedness, what did we just talk about? It's going to increase. It's going to reach fullness. That word, wickedness, by the way, in the Greek is lawlessness, disregard for law, disregard for God's rules. Because of the increase of that, the love of of you, love of one. That's very distressing. But all of the pastors I know, they're all witnessing the same thing. There's a great falling away. For whatever reasons, people have chosen the world. They've chosen false religions. They've chosen deceptions. They've chosen whatever the world has out there, as opposed to staying faithful to God. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But, and here's our challenge, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And the last point is the next verse that I talked about. That group that is still standing firm, they didn't join the most and allow their love for God to grow cold. They're still hot. They're still on fire for God. That group will be doing this. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I believe those who choose to remain faithful to Christ in these last days, it's not going to be easy. We won't do it by the the strength of our own... Uh, abilities, it's going to be the power of God inside of us. But those who choose to remain faithful and stand for Christ in these last days, there's going to be a great anointing, a great power and a great boldness coming upon them. And God will back up His Word with signs and wonders and miracles. In conclusion, I know this is a heavy message. We've talked about a lot of things. We need to understand the times we're living in. These are the last days. I wish, I wish, I wish I could stand up here and say, Oh, God showed me. It's going to be Christmas all year long now. Candy canes are just going to come out of the heavens. Everything's going to get easier and easier and easier. I wish I could bring you a message like that, but that's not what the Spirit is saying. He's saying, get ready, get strong, stand firm. This stuff is coming down the pike. Increase in wickedness. A great falling away. People departing from the faith. Massive deception and blindness in the culture. But stand firm. Put on the whole armor of God and stand firm to the end. And again, anybody that's listening to this today, if you don't know Christ, choose Christ. Follow Christ. There's nothing else of any value in the world today. Follow Christ. We sang this morning, He gave it all. He gave it all on Calvary to deliver us from whatever our bondages, whatever our problems, whatever our sins are. He paid the price on Calvary. He gave His life. He shed His blood. He went into the grave and three days later, God proved to the world and to the universe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God the Messiah, he proved it by raising him from the dead. Be strong, put on the whole armor of God, stand firm to the end. And again, don't argue and quarrel with people. That's just a distraction. And as I mentioned, I'm probably not even going to be directly referring to these issues anymore after today. Because I don't want to be distracted by that. That's not where I want my focus to be. I want to talk about Christ. I want to talk about the kingdom of God. I want to look for people who want to get ready for the coming of the Lord. I believe God spoke to me very clearly. You need to refocus and spend your time and your energies, whatever a little bit is left, on getting a people ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. That's all. That's all. In the midst of all of this, Rejoice, because your redemption is drawing near. Understand, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. This thing is real. I've been preaching this for 41 years, and it's never been so real in my life. Jesus really is coming. The Bible, just as it's written, it's all unfolding before our very eyes. He who is coming will come. And he will not delay. The spirit and the bride say, Don't come yet, Jesus. I need a little more time. Is that what it says? Spirit and the bride say, Come. And what is Jesus' response? I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. Let's all stand. You know, I was with Pastor Henry Avila, who pastors the church in Naples. A few of you know him. This past Sunday. And he shared with me something that really brought tears to my eyes. And I think it shows you how we, we just are not playing games anymore. This thing is getting very serious. He has one son who's, I guess, about 16, 17, I don't know his exact age, but I think he's entering 11th grade uh, this coming school year. And shortly after this Supreme Court decision was made public, he sat his son down, and he had a long heart-to-heart talk with him. And he said, son, do you understand what all this means? He said, yeah, I understand And he said, do you understand what it might mean for your father, or for your mother, or for your close friends? And he went on to explain, son, these are going to be very trying times. And I will not back down from my beliefs and from my position on God's word. And it may mean that I have to go to prison, or it may even mean death. And I want you to understand that if any of that happens, it was done for the Lord. I mean, this is serious stuff, folks. These are fathers talking to their sons, preparing them for what hopefully will not happen in our lifetime, but it might. That really touched me. It's like, wow, this is serious. This is serious. No more, no more playing church. No more playing games we got to know who we are, where we stand, what's going on, and where we're going. And most of all, we need to know in whom we Amen. have believed. Father, I pray that whatever has been shared here today would be filtered by the Holy Spirit. And those things that we need to know and understand, You would plant them in our hearts. God, You didn't tell us the last days were going to be happy, pleasant times. You told us they would be perilous, terrible times. And Lord, we're just sensing that we're in those times now. The whole culture is rapidly shifting. And God, we don't know exactly what's next on the horizon, but we do know from Your Word things that You have promised would be taking place with greater and greater frequency and greater and greater intensity as the day of Your return draws near. God, I pray that our focus would not be on people, on men, on man's decisions, on the political machine, but our eyes would be on heaven, on the kingdom of God, and on the greatest marriage that will ever take place. The marriage of the Lamb with His bride. Lord, many are called, but few are chosen. Help us in these last days to be strong in the Lord and in the power of Your might. Help us to dig into Your Word, to pray in the Spirit, pray all the time, put on the whole armor of God so we can stand against the flood tide of darkness and iniquity that is coming into the earth now. God, I pray for everyone hearing my voice through this message. Let an anointing, let a fire, let a boldness come upon each and every one of us. Oh God, that we can stand boldly in the marketplace, in our homes, with our family members, and proclaim the Word of the Lord. You said this Gospel of the Kingdom will be preached throughout the world. And then, and only then will the end come. God, I pray that You would use each one of us. Give us great boldness to acknowledge You before men, to acknowledge You before our fellow students in school, before our co-workers, before our family members. God, the the time of playing church is over. You're calling us now to rise up and be Your church. Father, perfect Your bride. Remove every spot, every wrinkle, And help us to be watching and praying and ready for that great event when Jesus Christ comes for His bride. God bless each and every one here today. Help us to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to strengthen one another in these last days as we stand for you to the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.